When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get out of the truth. Watch like a watch like He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a... Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fruity for Frodo. The nice clean. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I will not fall into despair! You hate bloggers! You mock Twitter! It's time, Robbie! He's fast! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to episode 340 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. The time of recording is 11.05 a.m. on April 23rd, 2023. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Nadia Dalamonte. Hi, everyone. Giovanni Lago. Hello, hello. And... Joining us, believe it or not, for the first time on the main show, she's been with us for many years, Sarah Clements, everyone. Hello. Sarah, finally on a Sunday main (laughs) show. I can't believe it. It only took 300 and something episodes. Yeah. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about some additions to the Cannes Film Festival lineup, the announcement of the Tribeca Festival lineup. We'll go over the polls, we'll answer fan questions, give our reactions to the trailers for two studio horror movies, Insidious the Red Door and The Boogeyman. But before we get to any of that, I do want to know what everyone has been watching in the movie theater this past week. So we can start off with Sarah. Sarah, what have you caught up with this past week? Um, in theater, nothing, because (laughs) I went to go see Evil Dead Rise on Friday, and they couldn't get the movie to work, so that was cool. But I did watch Chevalier at home through a screener, and I hope this week I'll go see it on a big screen, because it is phenomenal. I really, really, really loved it, and everyone should go see it. 
I agree. It's not doing well at the box office, unfortunately, and I do highly recommend people check it out. It's less than two hours. It is absolutely riveting. Kelvin Harrison Jr. is by far one of the most astounding young actors that we have working today. I mean, I can't believe just what he has shown us in such a short period of time. Definitely see this movie if you can. And really sorry, too, about the Evil Dead Rise uh, incident there, Sarah, because we did our review of it yesterday, which everyone can listen to right now. And I felt so bad not having you there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, I was excited to be the the female perspective on this story, but it was not meant to be. Well, we we, we did our best to balance out uh, perspectives for sure. And I think we did a very uh, much deeper in-depth review than I ever expected that we would for that movie. I I went in thinking, oh, we're going to be done with this in like 35, 40 minutes. We went like over an hour. So hopefully people will get enjoyment out of that podcast review. Okay, Nadia, how about yourself? What did you catch up with at the movie theater? So I saw, I went to the Toronto premiere of Bo's Afraid, Mm. the new Ari Aster movie. And I think it's a no for me, but um, I also can't, really get it out of my mind for better or for worse um i felt this really overwhelming disappointment at the end um it, it is very much like an ambitious roller coaster for me it, uh, lots of ups and downs um where i really struggled with it was the pacing there were sequences that really dragged on and i had a tough time feeling engaged it, it's definitely an odd journey maybe the most wild journey to visit one's mother that i've ever seen um it is funny at times. It's startling. It has this really fantastic Patti LuPone performance. Uh, so it does have elements that I enjoyed, but they're also ones that had me lost, uh, not in terms of following the story itself, but more in terms of the imagery and the editing where I wasn't really gelling with it. It does get tedious at times. But having said that, I have really great admiration for Ari Aster and his ambition. And I would like to see Bo a second time. It has this quality about it that's enticing me to revisit yeah i can definitely attest to repeat viewings of Bo helping a little bit yeah because i agree the first time i saw it i didn't really know what to make of it and i was like oh crap i have to write a review of this so i did the best that i could after just one viewing and then when i saw it a second time i had a deeper appreciation for the craft of it all while still recognizing that there were some flaws with the pacing i definitely agree with you on that and Third time, which I just did the other night, I, I like I still found myself uncovering stuff in like in the production design and some imagery that I was like trying to piece together. I still haven't worked out all of it, but it I, it's probably my most anticipated podcast review that we have coming up right now, just in terms of airing it out and trying to see what other people got out of it. And I think that's part of the fun of the movie is that there are these different interpretations even though at the center of it all it's pretty clear what the movie's about i think it's just like how it goes about it is very fascinating yeah it's definitely a definitely a crazy journey that i that i want to revisit yeah anything else no that's it for me Alrighty, next up here lauren lamagna what did you catch up with the past week um, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of catch up. It's starting to get into final season for my graduate program. So it's getting a little hard for me to go to the movie theaters, especially with Emmy season. I feel like they're dropping five series a week. So definitely busy on that front. 
But in terms of just catching up through um, renting on demand or streaming, I caught a good person, which was um, the Zach Baff and Florence Pugh film. And I thought it was good. I thought it was okay. Um, it's definitely a film that we've seen before and we will probably see again. And it was a little on the long side, but it's still good enough. And Florence Pugh is still fantastic enough that I would totally recommend it to people. So if you haven't checked it out, I think you should. I think you will find something in it. And then I also checked out on Hulu Pretty Baby, the Brooke Shields documentary, which I really, really loved. I loved how... um. This documentary, it's, yeah, it's about her career, but it's also not about her career as well. And I think that's where the documentary shines is when um, the director, Lana Wilson, who did um, the Taylor Swift documentary, really showcases how Brooke Shields' experience, which was so crazy about being, like, overly sexualized at such a young age, was she's more of a vacuum to what it's like to be a young girl and, and a young adolescent and then a young woman through this world that we all live in. And I think we, the female audience finds more similarities with their experience with Brooke Shields than one might would think before they saw the documentary. It is long, it's a two-parter, so I'm pretty sure it technically counts at the Emmys because Hulu is weird. But I really do recommend you guys check that out if you have not. I think it's a fantastic documentary. Nice, nice. I definitely have to make time for that one as well uh, at some point. Hopefully I can squeeze it in uh, this week. All right, Giovanni, what about you? So this week was actually the most I've watched recently because I was like, okay, I'm slacking this year. So um, before I saw Suzumi, I, I was like, I, need, I should probably watch Your Name. Um, a lot of people told me about it, and I had a lot of hype going into it. And I really enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Um, I think the animation's stunning. I think it was a much more quaint and smaller scale story than I was expecting. But then I ended up seeing uh, Suzumi in IMAX. And that story was actually like way more this grand epic story of these how these two people like are interconnected and the animation's so good. And I think with um, anime films, there's kind of like the thing with uh, humor that doesn't always feel necessarily like tonally the same, but I thought Suzumi was actually like quite funny. And there's actually this running gag with like a chair tipping over that is makes me laugh every time. And and even below it, it's like this really emotional like explanation to it that it just had layers. So I I really enjoyed it. Um, probably one of the better films I've seen this year. I'm going to save both for the last movie we talk about. So I'm just going to say I saw Ghosted yesterday because I just put on something to watch with my mom. And throughout the whole movie, she kept asking me, why did you want to watch this Hallmark movie with me? <laughs> and this is someone who, like, legitimately, my mother watches an insane amount of Hallmark movies. Like, it's you would think it's Christmas 24-7 at the house. Um, Ghosted is, like, one of the hardest things of trying to be nice because when you, like, make films and it's just so much work and so much goes into it and so much love. But I, what a soulless, vapid film with, like, everything is not good. I don't understand how you have, like, two of the most, like, gorgeous human beings leading your film and there is just no chemistry between them whatsoever. There's, like, no sexual chemistry. There's no comedic, like, riffing that, like, works. All the jokes are like painfully awful another thing is painfully awful is every cameo that gets in it was like hey hey it's the avengers buddies or like hey look at this funny person and it just got insanely painful to watch 
And I can't believe it's also made by the person who made Rocket Man. Like, is that is that correct? Yeah, it is. It's Dexter Fletcher. How? I couldn't believe it. That is like one of the most like colorful like musical biopics I've seen. And then you go to this, and it looks so painfully bland. And okay, a tangent. Every if you're gonna make a movie, especially with Apple, and you're going to go to real locations, film at the real locations. Like, there's oh, it's either like it just looks so bad I can't tell it's at a real place. Or it's entirely green screen and a lot of it. And it just hurts my eyes. It was just a painful experience. I, I was trying to figure out who was the engineer that designed that final uh, set in the oh, movie the set to, piece with the, to revolve. Yeah. I'm like, why would anybody make uh, – like, wh- why? Like, the practicality of it was so stupid. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, is this legit? And then there's a shot when, like, Chris Evans runs up the stairs and he's just standing. I was like, oh, no, that's all green. <laughs> that is all green screen. Like, so you can't even commit to that. It's just baffling. Uh, I think the thing that gets me a little upset about it is that post like Endgame, Chris Evans, you know, like he did Knives Out, and like those two have cameras. They're both great at Knives Out. Like we know they're both talented actors. Like they can do a lot better. And with Chris Evans, you know, he's done Snowpiercer and Knives Out, and he's really charming, talented dude. And like I like the concept of him being in a rom com and playing like the himboy like oh fish out of water type dude and like i just he could do so much more and it's just i don't know what i i don't know what it just misses on every front and then um the only other film i saw this week was bo is afraid and i still genuinely don't know what i think about it um i saw it friday night it's painful not painfully it was more confusing that was one of the first films in a while i walked out and i had friends text me or uh, the people I went with, they're like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't know if I enjoy it because I genuinely had a good time or it's because the oddity of it has me so like curiously interested that that's what allures me. I'll say the first hour of the movie I think is brilliant. I think it's also like probably the funniest movie I've seen all year. Um, I think every minute detail that uh, Ari Aster puts into the backgrounds, like all the billboards and the signs and certain uh, gags of like characters like dancing or their their costume design. Um, it works so well. And then I, what you guys mentioned earlier, the pacing issues um, do hit in a bit, especially towards like the second act. And then if you're not really like on board, the third act is practically just a screw you. You're either in or you're out. And it just goes like balls to the wall. Insane. But I think Joaquin Phoenix is great. Patty LeBone at the end. Oh my God. Oh my God. She's amazing. Um, I think the stealth MVP in that movie is Nathan Lane. I felt like every every line reading he had was just fantastic. Um, and there's a cameo in it that was like crying. So funny. I I enjoyed it. I would like to see it again to really get a grasp of like what it's trying to say. I, I have a general idea. I know Matt, you were texting me giving me your thoughts and I was like, please, I just need some context for this. I genuinely felt bad for you because you, I could tell you were very frustrated with like, why did I not get it? Is there something yeah. wrong with me? And I, and I was like, Oh no, dude, 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 it's totally cool. Like this is a tough movie. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it is. And it, it, it is. I, I, I'm really interested in seeing it again. Like I genuinely am. So maybe on rewatches, a a deeper appreciation will grow. But I will say I I do. I'm I think I am leaning towards the positive It's just a confused positive. All right. 
And then for myself, uh, as I mentioned before, saw Bo's Afraid a couple more times. Uh, saw, um, uh, what the heck was it called? Uh, Blackberry, which I really enjoyed. You know, this year we're getting uh, Air, Tetris, now Blackberry. All these behind-the-scenes corporate movies. And none of them are of a social network. None of them are that good. And they all owe a debt to that movie, I think. But the performances here from Jay Baruchel and uh, Glenn Howerton, excellent. Absolutely excellent. A really compelling watch, for sure. Very sharp script. Really enjoyed it, for the most part. Um, And then Ghosted, my God, it's one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Probably the worst movie. Even Adrian Brody is a mustache-twirling villain who I typically love in every supporting role that he pops up in in a movie. Even he could not salvage this mess. This movie was just a disaster from start to finish. And I can already hear, like, Lauren LaMagna right now thinking, hmm, do I make time to watch this trash? (laughs) (laughs) It depends on how sober I am, I think. (laughs) But, yeah, I can't recommend it. Um, I'm seeing this week a couple of very interesting things. I'm seeing, um, hopefully the covenant. I missed that one uh, a couple days ago and I'm hoping to catch it shortly. I'm going to see, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret and Lauren and I are going to be going to see guardians this week. Volume three. So excited for that one for sure. And who knows what else might pop up in there along the way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about uh, some film festival updates. Uh, First, starting off with the Cannes Film Festival. We had some additions. Uh, We got word that Pixar's Elemental is going to have its world premiere at the festival, and it will be uh, happening on closing night. It's set to release theatrically uh, from Disney Pixar on June 16th, and the closing night premiere will be on May 27th, the last three Pixar films. Uh, Well, technically two. uh, The third didn't play it uh can because there was no can film festival but it was confirmed to be there uh we're all pete doctor films up inside out and soul soul was the one that didn't actually play because of the pandemic this is the first one to go to the festival that's not directed by pete doctor uh what do we all make of this because i think that you know when we all saw the trailer for elemental we all maybe were a little underwhelmed by it, but now hearing this news and knowing the pedigree of Pixar films that get invited to Cannes, it definitely has kicked up my interest in the movie a little bit more. I mean, yeah, it showcases immense confidence from Pixar. And I've always had elementals in my mind for animated because, you know, it's Pixar, of course. But if you're putting elementals in the same category, especially with up and inside out to the their biggest um it perks me up significantly like there is immense confidence that they think this is not just good for pixar but maybe spectacular yeah i i agree i think what you said matt about the when you saw the first trailer i was a bit underwhelmed i think also especially considering 
uh, Pixar's last previous year, besides turning red, um, I was not really a fan of Lightyear or like anything else they've been doing recently. So, you know, seeing another, uh, what's a non-living thing that we can give emotions and somehow have feelings, uh, animated film. I'm like, okay, all right. But I mean, it going to can is big deal. Uh, especially, you know, the movie doesn't come out for a couple of months, Pixar is looking to uh, be like, hey, this is a legit thing and we are going to fully, you know, put our effort behind it. And of course, you know, the Academy loves Pixar. So I'm I'm hoping it's really good. Um, maybe maybe I've just been I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I've just been lowballing it. Um, I'm going to I'm going to change my tune. I'm excited to see it. We'll see what happens. Uh, we also got the lineups for directors Fortnite and Can Critics Week. Uh, there's a couple of interesting films, uh, you know, in here. You've got um, there's the uh, Jason Yu film uh, Sleep from South Korea, and then over in the uh, directors Fortnite section, uh, there is the uh, Hong Sang Soo film In Our Day. There's a lot of filmmakers uh, in there that I did not necessarily recognize, but then I saw. Uh, one called The Sweet East by uh, Sean Price Williams. And this one immediately did jump out at me, mostly because um, the cast in this film is Jacob Elordi, Talia Ryder, Ayo Adabiri, Simon Rex. So I think that's going to be one to keep an eye on uh, from that lineup. And then there was also the announcement that uh, Quentin Tarantino will be an honorary guest at this year's Director's Fortnite. He's going to be doing a q and I'm sure he's going to be talking a little bit about his uh, his book, Cinema Speculation. And then he's actually supposed to be presenting a secret screening, which I, I would caution people right now. I don't think it's going to be anything major. I think it's probably going to be some classic throwback film that he's a fan of. I would be really, really shocked if there was like some sort of a high profile. You need to be there to see this um, special announcement screening, but we'll see. I can tell you right now, I'm probably not going to make time to go do it, and I'll probably regret doing that <laughs> at some point. I'm sure. Watch it be like something absolutely incredible, and yeah, you know, I missed it. <laughs> uh, so that was all the can news for this past week. Um, we're actually supposed to be getting. A couple of more films added to the in-competition lineup. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy this year about a lot of films that uh, the festival keeps adding. And then because of sexual harassment or abuse allegations, uh, these films are being pulled from Cannes. Although, you know, Jean Dubarry is still the opening night film, so I don't know. <laughs> there's no real consistency here, it doesn't seem like, but... Uh, over in the U.S., though, we did get the lineup for the Tribeca Festival, uh, which is going to be taking place from June 7th until the 18th. And now, for those of you that have never been to the Tribeca Festival before, I kind of see it every year as almost like the Sundance Rejects Festival. Um, I know that's a little unfair in some cases, but it's like they have like over 100 feature films that are going to be screening there from filmmakers from all over the world. So many of them are first-time filmmakers, too. And every year, I go out of my way to watch these movies, and every year I walk away thinking, man, I saw a lot of mediocre straight-to-VOD films. And then throughout the rest of the year, that's exactly what happens. They all go like straight-to-VOD, and 
maybe you get like the one or two really good ones in there somewhere. Like I remember last year, official competition played there and that was obviously fantastic. Um, I remember the beta test played there and I really, really enjoyed that. You know, and then they'll program something big, like uh, a summer release that's um, going to have its world premiere there, like In the Heights, or recently they just did um, Vengeance. Um, they also programmed the, what was the even Hawk movie, the horror film that he did? The Black Phone. The Black Phone, yeah, they did something like that. So you can kind of like catch these, you know, high profile projects a little bit more of it over there, but I don't know. I, I just find it to be like a, a festival of diminishing returns a lot of the time. But there is some good stuff in there. You just got to go through a lot to find what those uh, good films are. Well, I'll I'll be covering Tribeca for the first time this year. And now I'm kind of, you're kind of diminishing. Wait, are you coming to New York? No, I'm doing the online portion. Oh. Like, I don't know what will be online, but probably scraps. But now I'm like, great, I'll just watch bad cinema for... A week. It's not so much bad. It's just like <laughs> underwhelming, you know? Like a lot of these films don't get like the best distribution and then they don't end up like going far. I don't know. Like what was the one that just came out recently that premiered there last year? Yeah, Acid Man uh, was one that just came out, I think like two weeks ago and it premiered at Tribeca last year. And I'm I bet you like half of you right now are like, what the hell is Acid Man? And th- um, that's my point. I yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know Michael Shannon has a film that he's directing that's going to be there that I'm particularly you know interested in. Eric Larue, it's called. The, the cast looks good too. Judy Greer, Alexander Skarsgård, Allison Pill, Tracy Letts. Yeah, there's a Skarsgård in there. I'm watching it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. Like, like, and, that's what, and that's what I mean. There will be some good things in here, but like, I don't know, Sarah, like for you, as someone who's covering it virtually, my gut instinct tells me that, you know, all the films that you probably want to see are going to be here in person and not available online. But that's just, I don't know. We'll see. That's just how it is. Just how it is. Exactly. <laughs> I was going through a lot of these uh, lists here. There was one with Chris Messina and Ariana DeBose called ISS. I will support. John Gallagher is also in it. I will always support Ariana DeBose and whatever she does. And she's going to be like an astronaut. It's a sci-fi sort of thing, which, you know, hello, that's what I love. So we'll tune in. But I'm yep. also really interested in um, Downtown Owl, the Lily Reb and Hamish Linklater oh, um, yeah. film. And I love them. You know, they're such a cool, scary, creepy, sexy duo. So I'm especially you know really interested to see them as co-directors as well yeah there's one here uh called the good half with nick jonas uh david arquette alexandra ship and elizabeth shoe um there is he went that way with jacob alordi who just seems to be everywhere nowadays and zachary quinto a lot of tv too they're doing a lot of like first episodes and stuff like that yeah you know what you can do too a lot of the time is you can see which films already have distribution. Like The Lesson, for example, which is um, uh, an English film uh, that's being distributed by Bleecker Street. It's got Richard E. Grant, Julie Delpy in it. And, um, you know, that sounds like something, once again, like I said before, it's not going to light the world on fire, but it could be good. could be worth watching. Steve Buscemi has The Listener with Tessa Thompson. 
um, that he directed and uh, I believe he produced it as well. I don't think he stars in it, though. And then John Hamm always seems to have uh, a film at Tribeca, it seems like, every year. And, and this time it's um, John Slattery directing, uh, his Madman uh, co-star. Uh, Tina Fey is going to be in this along with John Hamm. So that should be fun, hopefully. That one's called, uh, what's that one called? Maggie Moore's. There's this one called uh, First Time Female Director that Chelsea Peretti is her directorial debut. And it's like her taking over um, as the director for this theater production after um, to fill in the shoes of like her male predecessor. And it's like a, it's the whole production's in jeopardy. And it's like some southern rural drama. And it's got Chelsea Peretti and Amy Poehler. And if you watch Hacks, uh, Megan Stalter's in it. So I, I, Megan Mullally is in it, too, which like that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. And then I love this one here. This is like the typical Sony Pictures classics for the senior citizen crowd release, The Miracle Club. Oh, yes. With uh, Laura Linney, Maggie Smith, Kathy Bates. Yeah. Oh, my mother's going to love that. <laughs> exactly. <Hello. laughs> I mean, that's the right there. Laura Linney, Maggie Smith, and one of my all-time favorites, Kathy Bates. Sounds charming. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to love it. <laughs> now, there's one film here that I have seen. Uh, that I saw at Sundance that I really recommend people check this one out if you can. It's called Shortcomings, and it is uh, directed by Randall Park. Oh, yeah. This movie, I'm not kidding when I say this, this is like the worst person in the world, but like for the Asian community. Isn't this also Sony Pictures? Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of people who were like deeming it as the worst Asian person in the world when they saw it at Sundance. The more I like, I, I got to admit, it has like one of the most unlikable like lead characters in a movie I think I've ever witnessed. But that was also part of the charm of it too. So if you get a chance to check check this one out, whether it's online or if it's just playing in the New York area around this time, uh, that's one that I can definitely endorse. And I'm also just super excited that um they're releasing a live film theatrical production of Waitress when it was on Broadway. I love when they do that. It's so rare when a professional company films a professional life theatrical production and then preserves it for everyone to see it because, you know, Broadway is so not accessible for everyone in the world. So the fact that we get to see, you know, this theatrical production filmed and performed the way that it was meant to be on stage is so lovely for me. I love live theatrical productions. We should do that more instead of adapting them to film. And I'm just so excited that it's, premiering in new york so it makes me very happy that that'll also be at tribeca now this is like a like you said like a filmed version like kind of like what mm-hmm. they did with hamilton right yeah so is waitress a good enough show that i should go out of my way to see it lauren or i think it's really cute i think it's um it's definitely yeah it's got that same feel that the movie did you know it's that lovely small American town with, you know, the girl that dreams big, it definitely pays honor to it. And I think Sarah Bareilles really knocks it out of the park with how she composes and writes the songs for that show. So I really love it. I think it's a really cute, really pure show that kind of doesn't have the right to be as good as it does. But when you have a material that's so good and then you have a writer and composer like Sarah Bareilles really understands the material, it's really good. Okay, definitely. We'll give that a look. Oh, and I have to shout this out. There's a new film from Christian Petzold playing at Tribeca as well called uh, A a Fire, I think is how you pronounce it. 
Um, I think this one has already screened elsewhere because I don't believe it's a world premiere. Uh, but always got to love Christian Petzold. I, I really, really enjoy his work. Okay. And now let's talk about uh, some trailers here. First up, you guys like Insidious? Hell sure. yeah. No, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very behind. I only saw one and two. Okay. When I saw the trailer list for this episode, I was like, ooh, yay, all horror. Well, this is Insidious <laughs> the Red Door. It is directed by Patrick Wilson, and this is actually his directorial debut, if you can believe it. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. It's going to be released by Sony Pictures on July 7th. Are you ready? We're ready to forget the further, once and for all. My brain just been foggy past few years. All I ever wanted was to be a good dad. Dalton. Mom. Renee. Uh, it looks pretty scary. Nah, I, I don't know. I'm, I was very underwhelmed by this, I have to say. Yeah, I'm hoping it's one of those trailers that, like, is... You know those movies that have really shit trailers, and then when you actually watch the movie, you're like, wow, that was good. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's that situation, because I wasn't very into it either. I did notice that Ty Simpkins is the lead in this one, and it looks like the story's going to be following him more than Patrick Wilson. Um, I know Ty Simpkins was in the previous um, Insidious films, but it, it definitely looks like, you know, this one's going to be following him a lot more throughout. And of course, I think there's uh, some more interest in his career post the whale last year. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that decision though, but I can understand for Patrick Wilson, you know, as stepping behind the camera for the first time, wanting to be in that role more than simply as the front and center actor of the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. It reminds me of like Michael B. Jordan this year where he stepped behind the camera for Creed, you know, just like, for your first time, notice these two um, first-time directors. They're being like, hey, it's a franchise that like I know a lot about. I've been spending the better part of like almost a decade, you know, doing these movies. So it seemed more natural for them to like if anything was to be the directorial debut, it would be like something they're very comfortable with. So at least that that's interesting to me. But I haven't seen the other. I've only seen like the first two Insidious movies. So I was just like, oh, he's got a kid. Oh, he's grown up. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, I think having only seen the first two, I don't know if this trailer makes me more interested in catching up with the franchise, but like Sarah said earlier, I hope it's one of those trailers that just doesn't look very good, but it might it might surprise me. See, and this is why I don't do straight up horror because I was immediately like, okay, immediately no, I'm not I'm not comfortable. This is scary. This is too much. And all of you guys are like, well, eh. <laughs> you know what? I take back everything I said. I remember in the trailer, uh, Hiram Abbas is, is like the art teacher or something, and I love her. So, yeah, I'll watch it. I was going to say, she's crushing it on Succession, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking of the trailer in my head. I was like, oh, yeah. I did like the – because it played before Bo's Afraid, and I was just the DiCaprio, like, pointing. This trailer also needed more Rose Byrne. We always need more Rose Byrne. Like, she's, like, barely present in this trailer. Mm-hmm. I think she's like one of our most underrated actors working today, and she never gets the credit that she deserves. I just want a spy sequel, you guys. 
too much to ask. All righty, let's take a look now at our <laughs> second trailer here. This one is for the Boogeyman. And no, I do not mean the Baba Yaga, uh, John Wick. I'm talking the actual Boogeyman, which is going to be released on June 2nd from 20th Century Studios. It's so funny because like my, my Disney contacts hit me up about movies like this now. And I just find that to be so humorous that one minute I'm getting emails about The Little Mermaid. Next thing you know, I'm getting emails about Stephen King horror. You know, <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, anyway, let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Here we go. When there are scary things we don't understand, our minds try to fill in the blanks. Sometimes the best thing to do is to face it. So this light is going to be completely solid like it is right now. Then gradually, it's going to start flashing until it's totally dark. So you can see that there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay? See? That's not so scary, is it? Just you, your sister, and me. You're doing okay. It's not real. It's okay. It's okay. This didn't really do much for me. Christmasina. Yeah, Christmasina. That's your that's your takeaway. Are you that's kidding, Matt? But like, that shouldn't be the only takeaway. <laughs> I I understand, but like, and listen, I, I'm always excited to see Christmasina too. But at the same time, this trailer did not leave an impression on me at all. Yeah, I I. Yeah. I agree. It, it really gave me nothing, unfortunately. I do really like Sophie Thatcher. She's I'm watching Yellow Jacket season two right now, so I'll, I'll probably check it out eventually. But I'm this trailer did not put me in a rush to see it at all, unfortunately. I liked that last shot where they get like sucked through the door, but otherwise I was pretty bored. <laughs> I mean, it's just like your generic, typical studio horror film that's like lacking a personality. It is having its world premiere, I think, this week at CinemaCon, if I understand correctly. So we should be hearing initial reactions about it this week. Um, I don't know if you all remember, but if I'm remembering this correctly, I think last year CinemaCon did Barbarian. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too hopeful here. Again, this is a great litmus test on why Lauren doesn't do straight up horror because, again, I'm terrified. I don't <laughs> like this. <laughs> My nervous system is at an all time high. And you guys are just like bored. I got to ask does that give you any kind of incentive to check it out because we're not scared and you're thinking, oh, I can probably handle this? I don't like scary things. I really like only stay. I. I'll follow Mike Flanagan to the edges of the earth because I just love him. But um, I don't enjoy the thrill of being scared. It's not a, something I think is pleasurable or I, I seek out. Um, I love Stephen King, though. I love his stories. So, again, I'm in this weird thing of, like, I don't want to be scared. I don't want to put my body through that. I don't like that feeling. But I also love Stephen King as a storyteller. But I know he is. He can be a hit or a miss. So I'll wait for what you guys have to say. If you don't think it's scary... I think it might be safe for me where I will be scared, but also not terrified. Like I'll be able to sleep at night. I do want to call out that Marin Ireland is in this movie as well. And 
She's having a hell of a year right now between uh, this and Eileen, which premiered at Sundance. And she, for me, was like the standout in that movie. So we can always use more Marin in our lives. I really, I really wish this looked better. I, d- I do. Because I think when studio horror movies hit the mark, they could be absolutely awesome. I'm thinking, of course, of like Conjuring, It, you know, and a few others. But it's just rare because a lot of times they end up being like very bland and generic like this. It, it is always good when they, they succeed because I look at Smile and Barbarian last year to pretty good studio horror films that did pretty well. And the quality behind it is also good. So, like, of course, like, spoiler alert, if your movie's good, people will go see it. Yeah, Smile was very good last year. I really yeah. got the hell out of that movie. Seriously. And it made bank. Okay, now let's head on over to the polls. So, for last week's poll, uh, we got the announcement of the Cannes Film Festival lineup. So, we asked everyone which film from this year's Cannes are you most looking forward to seeing? Nadia, we'll start off with you. Mm. So, if I had to choose one, it would be... May, December, because I am a big fan of Todd Haynes. I will follow him to the ends of the earth. He's one of my favorite directors. And with Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman in this, I, yeah, I'm there. Yeah, say no more. Josh Parham had similar sentiment on last week's show where he's like, I don't even need to know what it's about. I don't need to see a trailer. You just yep. tell me it's those two women and Todd Haynes and that's it. That's all I need. Yep. Same here. Um, I will get it out of the way early and just be generic as fuck. I am looking forward to Killers of the Flower Moon because Martin Scorsese literally is my god. And I worship at the altar of his cinema, his version of cinema. And I cannot wait to watch all three hours and 26 minutes of this movie. <laughs> Giovanni, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I'm on the same page. Do not care. Call me basic. I've literally had this movie at like my number one or two anticipated for like three years now. Like, why am I going to change course? Like, it's easily Killers of the Flower Moon. Like, without a doubt, everything about it. Again, reading that novel and I'm just so excited. I, the one thing I'm sad about is that it's not longer. You know, where are those extra 40 minutes we were rumored to get? Yeah. Come on, Thelma. Come on. How could you do this to us? We need Release more. the four-hour cut. <laughs> we need it. I saw this one tweet, actually, about um, how funny would it be if Thelma cut out that one still. Oh, my God. <laughs> that we've seen in the past several months. <laughs> yeah, it's literally the whale 2.0 again, where it's just that one image. It's like, please, we need something else. Marty should No, Marty should commit to that. Like, he should just keep going. Yeah, like the Killers of the Flower Moon poster is literally just that still, and it just says Killers... The flower man at the top. I will say this. We got word uh, a couple of days ago that Martin Scorsese is going to be honored at CinemaCon this year. I am wondering if we're getting a trailer for Killers or at least a teaser maybe this week. I will take anything, any morsel of like it could be five second clip. Like, just please. I just hope that like when that still that still shot, whatever, whatever scene that is. Whenever that scene pops up in the movie itself, I just hope that the can audience does like all collectively does the Leo point and we all just lose our minds at the premiere. That would be so great. That's going to be the first standing ovation of that movie. Everyone's just going to in the middle of it. Yep. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, what are you looking forward to? Um, I'm going to echo Nadia and say May, December. 
Um, also, basic Asteroid City. I mean, I will watch anything Wes Anderson does. It is like a sugar high for my eyeballs, and I love it. <laughs> and also, um, Corey does Monster. I loved Shoplifters, loved Broker, so I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah, Monster is definitely high up on my list for sure. I even think it's possible that he could be getting the Oscar honoring the international director treatment this year, uh, but we'll see. Ooh. I was going to echo that as well. I was going to say monster. Cause again, I wanted to take out killers and everything. Cause you know, he's my guy. Marty's my, you know, my Italian dad. And my, <laughs> my dad even was also like, when I told him it was the run length, he literally said not enough time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's longer than Titanic man. And he was like, not enough. And it was just like, Intense, but I'm really looking forward to Monster, and I'm also really interested in um the McQueen documentary. What's it called? Like Occupied City. Yeah, the documentary that he's doing yeah. about uh yeah World I think War it, II. Right, right. It's supposed to be like four hours long too. Yes. Yeah. Interested. Like I'm really interested to see what that looks like and how that goes about because. I always love like seeing, you know, like narrative filmmakers, how they take on, you know, documentary and it's interesting. And I love that subject matter. And I find World War II fascinating. And um, if, and yeah, so those two are obviously on my list as well. So I, I actually want to just say before uh, I start, um, it's very, very, very apparent to me that a certain movie stars stands uh, sabotage this poll and for the, for the for that reason alone, I disqualified uh, that film here. But let's just say that there was a very high disproportionate amount of votes given to this one particular film. So, all right. So excluding that, this is the top 10 that the MVP film community voted on. And number 10 is Cobweb. Yes. Yeah, that's something that I, I'm like. Still kind of in shock that this is not playing in competition. Uh, but anyone here that's familiar with Kim Ji Woon's uh, previous work, such as The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, or I Saw the Devil, there is a lot of reason to be excited for this movie, for sure. And it's also starring uh, Song Kang Ho. What's not to love about that? Number nine is Firebrand. With Jude Law and Alicia Vikander. Sam Riley, I think, is also in it. Eddie Marsden. Simon Russell Beale. Supposed to be about Henry VIII and his uh, sixth and final wife, Catherine Parr, played by Alicia Vikander. I can see that. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, I miss Alicia Vikander. Um, I hope she comes back. I miss her, yeah. Uh, Number eight is La Camera. From Alice Rohrwacher. It is starring Josh O'Connor, Isabella Rossellini. And you don't really really need to tell me much more than that, but it is being distributed by Neon. And Neon, as of late, has won now counting three Palm Doors in a row. So, hmm, this could be the one. We'll have to wait and see. Number seven, Coretta's Monster. So excited. Did anyone here watch the uh, trailer that they uh, put online? It's not the English trailer, but did you guys see it? 
I did not. I was trying to go in like blind. Mm-hmm, same. Too. It's it's tough to you know obviously tell what the story's about because there's no subtitles or anything like that on it. But um, visually, it looks a little different than what we've gotten from him in the past. So that has my curiosity pretty high. Number six. It's been ten long years since this director's previous film, Under the Skin. Number six is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. I'm very interested in this. It's been so long. I think this is going to be pretty great, uh, just based on what I know about it from a story standpoint. Um, it's A24. Mika Levy's doing the score. Uh, Lukasz Zal is doing the cinematography. He previously did Ida, Cold War, and I'm thinking of ending things. So I have a feeling this is going to look absolutely incredible. And Jonathan Glazer, he hasn't made many films. He's only done Sexy Beast, Birth, and Under the Skin. But all three of them are really, really fascinating works of art. So this actually might be other than Killers of the Flower Moon, maybe my most anticipated from the festival. Number five, Todd Haynes' May, December. Let's go. (laughs) Number four is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Nice. Number three, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Cute. Damn right. Let's go. What do you all make of the, uh, you know, trailers we've been getting over the last like two weeks for it? Because now that we've seen like a little bit more from the movie, I think it's going to be a good time. You know, I I trust James Mangold to deliver an entertaining picture. And I think that that's exactly what we're going to get here. I don't think it's going to be anything more than that. But I, I think Harrison Ford, you know, I had my reservations about him coming back to the role this late in his career. But. You know, what I've seen so far looks pretty good. It's going to be a fun summer movie for the kids. <laughs> My and opinion should not. I was going to say, and the granddads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in some cases, the great granddads. <laughs> <laughs> My dad is very excited for this movie. I'm so excited. It's like my opinion should not be taken seriously on this because I will be an apologist for Crystal Skull. Like, there's so much in that movie that I don't care. Like, I saw that when I was a little kid. And I brought my own fedora. I like dressed as Indiana Jones for like five or six years in a row at Halloween as a kid. Like incredibly biased here. Like this could be like the biggest flown, like flub of all time. I'm still going to love it. But the trailers are good. And the last one, the the remix they did with like uh, the theme by John Williams in it. I was like getting a little teary eyed. I was like, this is a cheat code. This isn't fair. <laughs> number two. I'm actually kind of shocked to see this at number two on the list. But here we are. The Idol. Gross. Oh. What do we do? Justin, <laughs> I probably won't oh. be watching that. A part of me also wonders if a certain movie star's stands uh, voted for his daughter here. Oh, but yeah. The vote, the vote totals were proportionate enough that I kind of believe that this was real. So um, I will say in regards to The Idol that there is a curiosity factor there on my part, but at the same time, man, I I just don't have much interest in this project ever since like we heard the behind the scenes stories about it. And the other thing too is that it's a television show that's going to be on HBO the first week of June. I don't really feel the need to have to go out of my way while I'm at Cannes to go see this. Yeah, they they slated that post Emmys deadline. They're like, we're just gonna push this to the side here, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, so would they be showing like all the episodes like back to back? I think it's only the first one. Oh, Ma- okay. Maybe uh the first two probably. Yeah, maybe the first two. It depends on the length. Mm. We'll say potential for like ultimate weekly dumpster fire television. Like the potential there where it's like you grab friends if you can even like muster like how disgusting the show could be and just be like, "Wow, this is like on television. Like this is like why?" Like the amount of people I know that are going to probably hate watch this thing is yeah extremely high, and it's wild too because it's like Dan Levy's in it and Jane Adams and Rachel Sennett and it's like what happened here? Like everything we've heard is just so like Harry Neff is in it, Devon Joy Randolph is in it. Yeah, like <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh god, it's pretty wild. And number one, no surprises. Killers of the Flower Moon. The Marty Hives stay strong here. Mm-hmm. So those are the uh, 10 films that the MVP film community is looking forward to at this year's Cannes Film Festival. And now for this week's poll, with the release of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. We are asking everyone, which is your favorite Rachel McAdams performance? And I have to say, as I was going through the list here, um, she's another one that I just feel is so vastly underappreciated because she can do drama, she can do comedy, she's not afraid to take risks. She never has an issue with being silly and kind of like putting herself out there. And I, I like I, I just came to the conclusion while look, looking over this list, my God, she's so freaking talented. I just don't understand why we just don't appreciate her that much. And then I also noticed too, she doesn't work that often. She doesn't have like multiple films coming out like per year. And that's when I like realized that her projects are actually uh, pretty spaced out. And she usually only does like one movie a year. But every time she does one, it's usually something to be really excited about. So looking over her, her filmography here, what is your favorite Rachel McAdams performance? And we can start off here with Lauren LaMagna. I can mean I can be cool and maybe say like her Oscar nominated role or I could be even cooler and say game night because she was just so funny in that. But like 2004 was Rachel McAdams world and we were just living in it. That was a fact of life. And I don't know which one of those two I should pick because they're both amazing in totally different ways, which really showcases how crazy talented this woman is. But, like, I'm also a girl of my generation, and every time I watch The Notebook, I do cry my eyes out. And it's mostly because of how she looks at Ryan Gosling in The Pouring Rain. So I'm going to say The Notebook today because it really just is one of those movies that gets you every single time. Fair. Fair play. Nadia? I hadn't realized how difficult this is. I mean, just looking at her work, because each role showcases a totally different side of her it's so hard to choose but I will probably going by what Lauren said earlier about 2004 being her year I'm gonna go with the other 2004 role Mean Girls yeah she's so 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 good in that get in losers (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean it's really hard and tomorrow it'll probably be a different answer but I mean, she's incredible in that. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Sarah, how about you? 
at least once a week, I think about her line delivery of, oh, no, he died. <laughs> yes. So for that reason, I'm going with game night. Giovanni? I'm going to go with a, a random pick here, but everyone's talking about 2004. I want to talk about 2005. Underrated Wes Craven banger, Red Eye. Yeah. I, Love this. I remember like my mom going to Blockbuster, getting this movie, and I was just like playing with toys, and I just watched this while she was watching it. It's so good, and it's just this like claustrophobic type thriller, and like Killian Murphy's great in it, but like Rachel McAdams is so good. And then like I was just looking at like the cast about this movie, and it's been like years since I see. I forgot Brian Cox was in it. But Rachel McAdams just sells it so much, and like the pair of them just work so well in the movie. But like, I have fond memories of watching Red Eye. I remember I saw that unexpectedly. It was like one of those things where I was at the mall with my friends, and we were like, "Oh, let's go see a movie together." I didn't even know what this was, and to my surprise and delight, this was just like such a fun banger of a movie. It is. Like said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Red Eye is awesome. I agree. I am going to go with what I think is her best performance. I think she should have been Oscar nominated for this. I thought she was so good in this movie. Disobedience. <gasps> Matt said uh. gay rights. <laughs> Rachel Weiss said the same thing, yes. probably. Oh, man. Like her, Rachel Weiss and Alessandra Nivola, three really strong powerhouse performances in that movie. I wish more people saw it. It's really good. Any other uh, shout outs for Rachel McAdams? Any other performances? You can choose up to three on the uh, on the polls. So she was really fun in Eurovision. Oh, yeah. I did not like that movie, but I do admire that she is not afraid to just get goofy, silly. Yeah. Yeah. Do we like that wasn't her singing in the movie, obviously, right? I don't think it was. No. OK. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think it was. Uh, I need to shout out about time. It's like one of the most lovely movies I think I've ever seen in my entire life. She just can make you cry all the time. And it's like kind of rude of her when you think about it. Like every single like every other movie she's in, you're just like crying over her love situation because it's so beautiful and tragic at the same time. Even in like the trashy movies like The Vow or The Time Traveler's Wife or. No, you feel for it. Yeah. It's like once she starts crying, you're crying too. Like, Rachel, stop it. It took me a long time, like like later in life, because at the time I didn't know who she was. I, I did not realize that she was Owen Wilson's uh, love interest in Wedding Crashers. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. She's so cool where she can play, as you said, Matt, really ridiculous comedic performs. But she, but she also plays like the straight man really well, too, where she just reacts to the absurdity in a funny way where it just like makes the comedy that much better. Mm-hmm. And I love when, you know, you can get like a really good actor that can play the straight character really well. I have a feeling that Mean Girls is going to win this poll and deservedly so. But I would really, really, really love it if Game Night won, because I think that's like all of the qualities that we love about Rachel McAdams in a single performance. Her comedy, her just cute like persona, her likability. I think it's just like everything kind of rolled into one, I feel like, right? Yeah. To to all the voters, random uh, movie, if you remember she's in State of Play, this just shows you how random my taste in movies are, and I enjoy her in State of Play. That's a good movie. I don't even know if people... Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a very underrated movie. I was weirdly obsessed with that movie when I was like 15. I don't know why. I watched like it so those, many times. Maybe because of Rachel of McAdams. Perfect. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Or it was probably more Helen. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cast a vote over on the polls page of nextbestpicture.com. Let us know what your favorite Rachel McAdams performance is. And definitely be sure to check out Are You Fair God? It's Me, Margaret, coming out in theaters this weekend. Okay, now let's uh, answer some questions from the MVP film community. Let's see what they had to ask us for this week. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. David Mitchell Baker asks, with Suzumi earning really good reviews, positive word of mouth, and strong box office, do you think that Makoto uh, Shin- Shin- Shinkai, I hope I'm saying that right, can finally get nominated for Best Animated Feature? I am a little worried about the release date being this early, but, and I haven't seen it yet, but Giovanni, do you think it's an animated feature contender? Maybe last year. I don't know this year. This year's animation field seems pretty stacked um, because you got new Miyazaki, you have Elemental, Spider-Verse, that Ninja Turtles movie, which the animation looks pretty great, like in the vein of Spider-Verse and uh, like Puss in Boots. That whole cell shading trend has just been blowing up since uh, Spider-Verse first came out. I think Mm -hmm. it's good. I would really enjoy if it got a nomination. As of now, I don't really see that happening, sadly. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Like, there's still plenty of time, like a lot of time. Miller's Movies asks, does Peaches stand any chance at getting a Best Original Song Oscar nomination? (laughs) It freaking Absolutely. (laughs) I'm going to go with no on this one. I think it's amusing, and I love that people are – you know, rooting for Jack Black to like this would be his Oscar nomination. That's kind of ridiculous, but I just can't imagine this happening. Matt, you're gonna this is gonna be quoted. So you're probably right. We're gonna be like, remember in April when Matt was just totally wrong. You know what? You're probably right. Mm-hmm. I haven't even seen the Plumber movie, but I've heard the song a million times already. So I mean, it's everywhere. Part of the movie, in my opinion. S2S Movie Reviews. After watching Ghosted, I feel like Anna de Armas needs some career advice. What do you think she should do next? She's doing um the John Wick John spinoff. Wick. Yeah, the about so I'm sure that's gonna make money. Like the thing is, is like sure these movies not like might not be like good, but she just came off getting an Oscar nomination. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think she Okay, like Blonde turning out to be what it turned out to be. It is what it is. But on paper, on paper, like before you oh, actually yeah. know what the final final film is going to be, I think that that was a smart career choice on her part. Without a doubt. And I think that all of these big blockbuster movies that she's been doing as of late, like No Time to Die, obviously, was a good choice for her. And she's the best. Ghosted, I can see how on paper, oh, I'm working with Dexter Fletcher, opposite Chris Evans. Like... None of these decisions scream as, like, poor to me. It just turns out that the movies are not well-received. But I don't think she's making bad choices. 
Like on paper, everything seems very logical to me. Look, Ballerina is going to come out whenever it comes out. And I know Keanu Reeves is going to be in it for some time. The movie's going to make plenty of money and she'll be fine. Like it's I'm more worried about Chris Evans than Anna de Armas. Edwin Oraz, do you think Disney will recast Kang the Conqueror? If so, who would be your choice? Yeah, I think Jonathan Majors is it's done. done. Yeah. yeah, it's over. The yeah. fact that they're the only studio that hasn't said or done anything is very loud. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's because they put all their chips on it, too, on Majors. And now, like, this sadly has happened. You know, uh, their whole, like, cinematic universe thing that they've set up for like the next decade is like about to collapse so they are just in struggle mode and every like moment they don't say or do something it just looks so much worse well the good thing about Kang the Conqueror as a character is that you can freely recast and have somebody else play the role so I just don't understand why they haven't just done it yet I guess because they're waiting to see what the actual outcome is going to be of this whole situation. Like, is he going to be proven to be guilty or not? I I think it's all kind of irrelevant at this point, just from a PR standpoint. I don't think that they should move forward with him. Yeah. So in terms of who I think would be good to take over. Oh man, that's, that's tough because you're looking for somebody that has the screen presence, the charisma also is hella jacked. Oh, Trevante Rhodes. That's a good one. It's a good one. What about Aldous Hodge? Aldous Hodge. Trade in the wings from uh, Black Adam's Hawkman to uh, Marvel. Yeah, why not? I don't know. John David Washington, I mean, maybe? Ooh, maybe. I saw a rumor that of uh, Damson Idris. Uh, he was on Snowfall, if anyone has ever watched that show. And um, it just ended. And he's actually about to do that uh, Formula One movie with Brad Pitt. I think Kaczynski is making for Apple. So that that could be a thing, but he would he's like not like Yolt, but that doesn't really matter because once you you know you're on the Disney program, you know they're gonna just they'll give you the super soldier serum if you catch one drift, and you'll be there in no time. Yeah. Uh, Jacob loves film. What do you all think is going to be the surprising indie film this summer that gets awards recognition later on in the year? Barbie. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I think the actual answer to this question is past lives. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I need this movie now. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a trailer for it the other day before Bo was afraid, and I just turned to my friend and I went, That is the best movie I've seen this year. And then, like, a complete stranger next to me, like, leaned over and said, I've been hearing that too. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, everyone is like saying it's the best thing ever. And I don't not I don't, I'm just fun. I don't know someone who has said it's OK or it's really good or it's great. Everyone has always said it is the best thing ever. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's the best thing ever. But I mean, it's definitely the best thing I've seen this year for sure. So I just want to see it. <laughs> and looking at like my friend's letterbox reviews for this. Uh, there's only one person that gave it a seven. And that is literally the lowest rating. Everything else is. 10 stars or or rather, you know, five stars. However, Letterboxd does their ratings. 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10, like across the board, just raves from everybody. It's so fucking good. It's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. Can't wait to cry. 
Uh, Adam Clay, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but let's uh, tackle it head on here. With Elemental going to Cannes, could this be a sign that it's the animated film to beat at this year's Oscars? Every other Pixar film presented at Cannes from Up, Inside Out, and Soul has not only won Best Animated Feature, but was also a serious contender in the Best Picture race. Yeah, even though Inside Out and Soul didn't get nominated for Picture, there was discussion about it, so... I've been saying this for forever, especially like with Soul not making Picture, because... You know, if it didn't make picture in that year, there was the COVID year. Uh, animated film has to truly be like the most life changing. Like, oh, my God, this is like the biggest deal ever for it to them finally put an animated film in the best picture lineup. Because everyone was talking about Pinocchio last year. Like it was getting all the hype and everything. And then, I mean, Pinocchio just got what animated. That's yeah. it. Which was shocking considering that it yeah, had like, prospects for score. Yeah. Production design. Mm-hmm. Adapted screenplay. Yeah, so it's got to be next level, which I feel like if an animated film could do that this year, I'm still holding hopes for the, the Miyazaki How Do You Live. Scott Kernan, for anyone who has attended a film festival, what was your favorite moment or experience? Uh, could be anything notable from a premiere to meeting uh, fellow critics, anything like that at all. I'm pretty sure all of you have attended one, right? Giovanni, I know you've been at NYFF, Lauren, same, Sarah, Tiff, and Nadia, Tiff. Not yeah. in person. Oh, bummer. Well, wait, Sarah, yeah. what, what fest- have you gone to a festival in person? No. Oh, we got to change that. <laughs> I'm going to make that my project for next year. I'm going to get you to go to a film festival in person. Yeah, Myth last year was my first like festival I did in person because I've done like the Sundance virtual for the past few years, but going to NIF in person, I, I, the most, like, one of the life changing things for me, I saw this documentary about the New York Dolls that Scorsese co directed, and it was like a nine something showing. I was staying at my friend's place in Jersey, so like the last train back was like at midnight. And Scorsese comes out on stage, and you know, it's Scorsese that's like, I'm in like the presence of like, oh my God, this is cinema royalty. And he just goes on this like impassioned intro before the movie. And it's like this almost like 10 minute plus like speech he's talking about. He's talking about like when he premiered Mean Streets there and he was talking about uh, Breathless and just all this like backstory of his life behind it. I'm like, wow, this is like a religious moment for me. And then also in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, Marty, I love this, but uh, I have to get a ride back home. Let's, (laughs) Let's start the movie. But also I'm just like, keep talking. Like, please, I could just sit here for hours and just listen to you talk. I love this idea of Giovanni just being that one guy in the crowd. that's like, start the movie already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, well, meeting Matt and Dan in person. Aw. And so many lovely people I got to meet. Um, But there's another one that's in my mind. It's when, Guillermo del Toro was here for The Shape of Water, and he the movie was screening at the Elgin and Winter Garden Theater, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the prettiest theater in Toronto. And there's a scene in the movie that is at that theater. So that was just a really kind of surreal experience to watch the movie and then see that scene in the theater and be in the theater watching it. And that was a really cool moment. I love that. That's nice. Yeah, see, being in the room for the premiere of She Said at New York last year was really cool. Oh, yeah. The energy in that room was amazing. And at the time, no one knew Ashley Judd was in the movie. 
So when Ashley Judd popped up and I was sitting next to Dan and I was like, Dan was like, this is a good voice actor that really got Ashley Judd well. And I was like, yeah. And then he said, no. And then it just panned to her face and we're like, holy shit. So when she walked out on stage, that was a really um, cool moment. And also, then what was wild was when um, the the real victims who came forward were in the audience. Yeah, the survivors were there. Yeah, and that was, wow. And that was heavy. Up, and it was an awesome feeling to be in that room and just experience the film with the creators and the survivors. And it was just, it was a really amazing experience. And then I also um, got a, I got into the Q&A with um, the cast and crew of White Noise. And to hear Greta Gerwig talk about life and death and what death means and the absurdity of it and how it all means nothing and everything and therefore nothing and therefore everything was so interesting and amazing. And I could literally just listen to that woman talk about literally nothing and everything and the importance of it forever. And I just remember like looking to the person next to me and be like, and that's why she's Greta Gerwig. And the person was like, yep. <laughs> so that was cool. Speaking of Niff, I wasn't huge on Armageddon time, but I went to the Q&A after and it was like Jeremy Strong and James Gray. And like, he's such a great like filmmaker to listen, talk about like the passion. And it was a late showing and he was like, no, no, screw it. We'll stay. Uh, and he was like, just like, don't worry. I'll be here as long as you want to answer questions. He was just so nice. And also hearing him say that his like one of his least favorite things he made was at Astra kind of hurt because I was like, oh, no. It's so good. Why? Yeah, I just feel like the uh, studio interference with that movie oh, yeah. like broke him, and I, I yeah, I genuinely did feel bad for him. Um, you know, kind of going off of that, I have so many, by the way, that it's like even hard for me to like choose just one thing. Um, but like the post screening Q and A for Armageddon Time with Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, and James Gray was one of the funniest Q and As. I've ever been a part of. I, I could not believe like how funny the three of them were together. It was just a riot. Um, I have so many. I like I like it's this is really, really tough for me. Uh, I remember watching the two popes with Eddie Redmayne. Just he was just right next to me the whole movie. It was wild. I like last year, like this is this was insane. We were at the world premiere of Women Talking and Bardo was playing right afterwards. And when I say right afterwards, I'm not talking like you have a couple of minutes to get to the theater. It's playing like 15 minutes after Women Talking ends. No, it overlapped like 10 minutes before Women Talking was supposed to end was when Bardo was starting. And so when Women Talking uh, ended, we got outside the theater. And when I say got outside, like we rushed, like we ran to the exit, got outside there were uh, cars from Netflix waiting for us to take us across town to the other theater. And it's by far the uh, longest like distance that you can do um, at Telluride to go from this one theater to the other because they're both on opposite ends of the Telluride town. And they just drove us over there and they held the screening for us. But it was like this high stakes situation of are we going to make it in time? What's happening? Are they holding it for us? Are they not like what's going on? You know? Insane. Insane. But they really, really wanted us to watch Bardo, so. <laughs> yeah. Film festivals are cool. They can be fun, for sure. But I think, for me, the best thing will always be 
hanging out with people that I admire, respect, uh, just friends in general. You know, it's always lovely to see, like Nadia said before, like meeting Nadia was great, even though I was probably extremely stressed and busy. And I remember having lunch with you, Nadia, and I just remember being on my phone the entire time because I'm like, not now. Venice is announcing their award winners. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> We were getting burgers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember, like, our reaction when all the Beauty and the Bloodshed won uh, the Best Film Award, like, freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a good time. Fun time. I have another one, actually. This one, it's it just kind of speaks to, like, I think the power of discovering movies. It was when I saw Lady Bird at TIFF. And by that point, I hadn't really, I wasn't really familiar with Greta Gerwig, like, as an actor. I just kind of went into it based solely on Saoirse Ronan and watching that for the first time, which was so, so powerful. And it's still a movie that speaks to me today, uh, particularly regarding like mother daughter dynamics, like that whole experience was like to, 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 to discover what is now one of my all time favorite movies was really, really special. Yeah. There's something to be said for going in to see something at a film festival that hasn't gotten the uh, anticipation that something like, uh, you know, Glass Onion or The Fablements, like you, like those are the movies that you go in expecting them to be great. But then when you just like randomly walk in and you end up catching something like How to Blow Up a Pipeline, you know, and sometimes th these discoveries can be just as impactful and powerful. Okay, Josie DeMarco, last question here. In honor of Earth Day and Arbor Day coming up on Friday, uh, what are some of your favorite films that depict the beauty of nature? Well, the first one that came to mind was actually Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring for showcasing the beauty of New Zealand. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about Hobbiton and the Shire. Oh, it looks amazing. God, I remember watching those movies and feeling so transported by them. I'm ashamed to say I've never been to New Zealand still as, as big of a fan of it as I am of those movies still have not gone there, but I really want to someday all because yeah. of those movies. <laughs> yeah. It's on my bucket list for sure. And it's solely because of those movies more than anything. Yeah. It's very far away, Matt. That's okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's super far. Yeah. What, but the, what those movies have done for New Zealand uh, tourism now uh, is, Pretty unparalleled. <laughs> uh, I For me, the first person that came immediately to mind was Terrence Malick. Yeah. Pretty much any film by Terrence Malick. Just throw it up on there. Uh, but if I'm thinking about movies that are about the beauty of nature, um, the new world comes to mind. And to a certain extent, also, yeah, the tree of life also mm -hmm. comes, to, uh, uh, comes to mind. Uh, the thin red line. Definitely. Yeah, it's like it's like it's almost his entire filmography, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know if this film is really about capturing nature, but I remember seeing Lawrence of Arabia and the way it captures the desert is just like, wow, this is like so gorgeous. Like, you know, when everyone thinks of desert, it's just like sand and hot, but it's just like the way it's like so mesmerizing. It's practically like a sea in a way, but on 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 the earth. It's just great. It's so funny because like a part of me wants to say Avatar, but then it's like, well, none of it's real. Hey, <laughs> why do you think it took 13 years? It takes five years to go to Pandora and then five to come back. Okay. It's <laughs> the first film that came uh, to mind for me was um, Princess 
Mononoke. Oh. Um, from Studio um, Ghibli. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really awesome shows pen. like humans versus nature and how we sort of abuse it. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon because the first one that I thought of was Beasts of the Southern Wild. And the way um, Ben Zeitlin shows nature through this child's eyes, like you really see how much she cares about this world and how important it is to her and how it's being destroyed and her trying to figure out what she can do to save it was very impactful to me. And it's a, it gets me every time of this girl just trying to do everything that she can to save what is most important to her and how that translates to a human's relationship with the world that we have. And, you know, we only have so many resources and we gotta, we gotta save it. Like hush puppy wants to. This is not an answer for the record, but like, I just find it so hilarious. The Oscar campaign for the Revenant became about, the nature in the movie when I'm like that's not what the movie's about like at all <laughs> I just always remember like he slept in a bear give him the Oscar and it was just like stuff like <laughs> or he had bison yeah liver give him the Oscar yeah the man suffered like <laughs> I was thinking about uh the Douglas Sirk movie all that heaven allows Ooh. just I'm just thinking about the beauty of nature as a backdrop and like the depiction of fall in particular was really really stunning in that movie Good choices here. Good choices all around. Uh, That'll do it here for fan questions for this week. And that will also do it for this episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. Sarah Clements, for those who are unfamiliar with her, but you shouldn't be, tell all of our listeners right now where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at Mildred Spheres. Nadia Dalamante. You can find me on Twitter at Nad Reviews and on Instagram at Nadia Reviews. Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And Giovanni Lago. You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 340 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.